Another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your spookiest X-Men podcast where we rank all the stories from A to Boo. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. Um, <laughs> hey Adam, was it weird how earlier this year you were a vampire and I was a werewolf and we didn't time that for Halloween? I didn't really even think about that until the other day. We were like, what are we doing for Halloween? And we were like, well, we were already otherworldly undead man dog abominations. <laughs> so. Creatures of the night. <laughs> but uh, Hammer horror characters. Yeah, ha- yeah. Happy Halloween. Uh, happy, happy Halloween times, everyone. Uh, this is a weird Halloween in that uh, the world's bad. Mm-hmm. Um the world's been bad before. The world's been impressively bad uh, in the recent times. And now Halloween's canceled. Uh, but not on this podcast. I mean, you can always, like, I don't know if you've seen these people that are setting up, like, 30-foot tubes to deliver candy from porches. But, you know, depends on your state uh, ordinances, I guess. You know, <laughs> it came without candy. It came without bags. It came without ghouls or goblins or hags. We tried and it tried, and it came all the same. You know what, Adam? Halloween time is here, and can you can you hear can you hear across the hills the children singing the the songs of Halloween? <laughs> sure. I don't know. I'm scared now. <laughs> Maybe. Halloween doesn't come from a store. Maybe <laughs> Halloween is a little bit more. <laughs> My son's been watching a lot of The Grinch. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> did you just ad-lib that? I did, yes. Uh, but um, I was like, this has got to the... be a Shel Silverstein poem that I don't know. No, it's Dr. <laughs> Theodore Geisel. The Seuss himself. Oh, man. He was he was in Stanley's unit, I think. They were both telling. I hope I don't, he wasn't in his they, unit. <clears throat> they had the same they had the same job of telling soldiers not to put their unit in uh, stuff that was going to get them syphilis. That's not a joke. You know that both Stanley and Doctor Seuss yes, did that. I have heard about this in in the Second World War. That was their job. Well, we do have some uh, that that is a haunting all its own. But um, <laughs> we do have some haunted X Men stories today. Oh yeah, that's what our podcast is, isn't it? Just it's bringing it back X-Men. around, guys. We're doing we're doing a we're doing a back to back recording sesh, and I've already had a long day. And I'm jumping on a different unrelated call after this one, and it's already 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, also known as God's Time Zone. So I'm a little tired, which puts me in this perfect spooky mood to talk about Marvel Knights X-Men, uh, written by Bram Ravel, uh, 
with Chris Peter well, it's, on it's, colors. It's, it, yeah, written and drawn by Brom Revel. Uh, this is a weird one, man. Like they they rebooted the Marvel Knights label for some reason that had nothing to do with the Marvel Knights. Well, they were so this was this was coming out of uh, Sana Amanat's office. Uh, and there were three titles that came out in 2014 uh, of a rebooted Marvel Knights line. There's this uh, X-Men series. There was a beautiful, beautiful Spider-Man series uh, with art by uh, uh, Marco Ruby mm-hmm. that is gorgeous. Couldn't tell you a dang thing about the plot, I'm going to be honest. But it's it's very pretty it to is. look at. It's really nice. And then there's a Hulk book that I did not read. I can tell you nothing about. That's okay. Uh, uh, this one's interesting because this is not a what you would expect as a traditional X-Men comic. It does take a kind of unique, twisted approach to things, especially from an art side. And I really do enjoy that. Yeah, it has a real indie comic feel to it. Um, big, chunky uh, inks to it. A um, lot of extremely expressive color. Um, by mm-hmm. uh, Christian Peter. And uh, it's weird. Like, it, it seems like it should be a story that's out of continuity, but it, it does seem like just an adventure that you could have Again. seen as an arc in uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah, Adam, we've we've talked about this previously. It's better for X-Men as a whole. If it all just happened. Oh, sure. If it's all in continuity, if it all counts. But it but it, it has sort of like a, a visual um, simil- not I don't know if similarity is the right word, but it's like in the same universe visually as like worst X-Man ever. It well, yeah, it I would I would say Michael Walsh is probably a very very similar artist uh to Brahm here. Mm-hmm. Um but this story is uh it's it's basically just another one where we've got uh, Wolverine and uh, Kitty Rogue. They are on the hunt for what appears to be a mutant murder in a in a small town, uh, and it gets infinitely more complicated once they get there. <laughs> it does. So this takes place in Appalachia, mm-hmm. on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. Now, there has been a lot of very recent talk. Uh, about Appalachia and uh, its portrayals in media. I am not from Appalachia. Neither is the writer of uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, he's from an hour down the road from me. So, you know, I have some opinions on how Ron Howard is portraying that in a film. Uh, oh, boy. Luckily, I'm one of the good Terminators, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to... That's a joke that's Dude. like no one's going to get if they listen to this episode. <laughs> Guys, go watch the trailer for Hillbilly's Elegy. It's not good. It, in fact, makes me angry. But it does have Glenn Close saying there's three kinds of people in this world. Good Terminator, bad Terminator, and neutral. And she's really just casting the widest possible net there. I mean, it's like having uh, two bears inside of you. <laughs> Okay, but this, so this story takes an interesting approach to that region. Uh, It's got, it's got religion, it's got guns, and wouldn't you know it, it's got meth. Well, not meth, it's got Uh, mutant drugs, but it's meth. Yeah, it's it's a spin on kind of like the mutant growth hormone thing um, with these pills 
that uh, do seem to you know sort of enhance the powers but the way in which this story is told you're not really sure who has what power so it's it's a mystery as you're going through it because um as we kind of noted this is a ghost story one of the uh, mutants that they encounter darcy has this ability to bring back things from your memory as physical projections that will attack and hurt you which in this miniseries include a host of x-men villains um and you know characters from their past who are all converging on this one spot and basically creating like an apocalyptic war zone it's it's kind of crazy it escalates very quickly Mm -hmm. uh what what we get you know there there has been a mutant murder and the x-men come down to both figure out what's going on there and find the two other mutants that cerebro detected uh one of them is darla that oh darla uh, thank you thank you i was just gonna let it slide but you brought it up now messed it up you did the other is crystal uh now crystal is in the page guthrie mo mold she is a nice blonde uh you know kentucky girl uh who's just looking to have a good time for the most part but she's you know in the middle of all of this now at the same time darla is depressed uh for good reason for good reason uh she does self-harm which is not like it's not poorly handled but it's actually i'm not going to say that it's kind of an afterthought in this comic it's just kind of there as a character trait which is weird and i don't love well it's um her her power which does bring back these sort of painful memories as uh physical manifestations has not only driven herself kind of crazy but has also driven her father away um by reminding her father repeatedly through physical manifestations of her mother's suicide. So it's a dark story that also features like, you know, freedom force coming and like attacking rogue. Uh, It's and, and that's only part of it because we also have this entire sort of religious militia. um, There's a, a small gang in this town as well. And they're sort of the the mutant drug dealers. Um, it's it's a lot of competing forces. So by the time we get towards the end of this story, it, it is like an all-out war in this small town. I think from a structural standpoint, that's one of my issues with this comic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's the you know X-Men, uh, which smartly they keep it to a very small cast. It's Rogue, Shadowcat, and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that works well. It's X-Men. It's these two girls from the town. It is all of the manifestations to give the X-Men something to fight during this comic. Uh, and it is the mix of the sheriff, the meth dealers, and the religious uh, outpost slash drug makers. And it all kind of congeals into this one big blob of stuff going on and it's not very clear how this is all going you know going down now part of that's intentional darla who has the you know danny moonstar powers of making things real uh she 
gets given some of these mutant drugs from Crystal, the other girl, uh, as well as drinking just just a significant amount of bourbon. <laughs> uh, so she's very high and very drunk and very much using her powers, uh, just kind of lash out at the world. And it causes a lot of chaos. And part of that is... Part of that is intentional in the story, but it also muddies the actual telling of the tale. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's set up a, a storyline where he has to illustrate like dozens of characters in each panel. And his style is... of I, I like the artwork. I do. I do but, like the artwork. But it does... Everything does, as you said, get kind of muddied by there being so many characters on panel at a time. Um, what I do appreciate is that he's kind of taking risks, like a huge portion of the fifth ish and final issue are two page spreads, um, which kind of dial up the speed of the action. Um, you know, I don't think the story is perfect. You know, I, I, I take some issue with the way that Wolverine is characterized here. Um, he's kind of unhinged at, at large parts of this, but, um, I, I think it's a really interesting one just because it's a very unique story. It's not something that we would see normally. It's unique. I'd like to see more risks taken like this mm -hmm. because even if there are missteps, it tries to, it does try to be like, Hey, this is a bit of a darker, more realistic take, but without being like grim and gritty. Right, right. It's not it's not bad things happen for the sake of bad things. It's examining how traumatic experiences impact individuals. And that that's fertile ground to tell stories, good stories. I think it's done a little unevenly here. I but you know, I'm not going to fault somebody for taking a chance. It's interesting because the the breadth of what's going on in these five issues probably could fill another five issues like you could probably see this as multiple arc storyline if it was broken apart a little bit you know if we got a little bit more of behind the scenes of the you'd have to develop a lot of the factions a little exactly. bit exactly I, I can see i can see how you could expand this. right however i think you know from a standpoint of just approaching it as a mini um by using this maximal approach i, I do think it, it works um I, I just think that there's an element to it that because there's so many moving pieces, there's a little element of confusion that goes along with like, okay, well, what am I looking at right now? You know, like where are we in, as part of which flashback is attacking which flashback? Um, but altogether, I, I think it's really interesting. I remember when this came out and I thought it was really, you know, a neat uh, kind of very different take on, on the characters. I will say I, one one thing I do think this book gets right is its portrayal of Rogue. Mm. Um, she is conflicted in a way that we just haven't had to deal with Rogue since she went through the Siege Perilous at the nine, right. in 1990. Yeah. Uh, since she did that thing. Uh, but this is, this is a Rogue who still is haunted by the fact that she was a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And that's that's an interesting take it's not i wouldn't want to see rogue always living in a perpetual state of guilt and like i was a bad guy but you know when that when that's gone for 20 plus years it's interesting to see that pop back up and say okay now let's let's see how this 
rogue who has changed and grown approaches that kind of stuff in her past. And I think that works well. I think I think he's got a he's got a voice for rogue down. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I think it's a really interesting kind of different take uh and works like ghost story like we said so it fits our theme it is spoopy um why don't we (laughs) why don't we try and put this on our giant list are you talking about our giant list of every x-men story of all time of which we have 426 stories currently on the list with the number one story being Hawkspox, the number 100 story being Excalibur 61, Truth and Consequence, which is that time that Galactus and Phoenix get into a big, good-looking fight. Uh, our number 200 is X-Men slash Ghost Rider, Brood Trouble, and The Big Easy. Our number 300 is Extreme X-Men Expose. And number 400 on this beautiful list is X-Men Forever. The last story is the Draco. We don't have to talk much about that. <laughs> I mean, I would. This is definitely not, not to the caliber of something like worst uh, X Men ever. Um, no, worst X Men ever is very high on our list, Adam. Uh, exactly. It's number twelve. Yeah. Um, how do you? This is not as good as that. No. How do you feel about it um, against something like one forty four, which is the Generation X Underground Special? I like the Generation X Underground Special better. That both takes risks, mm-hmm. and even if that book is uneven, it more or less pays off. Um, I'm scrolling a little bit down. At 160, we have the Rogue miniseries yeah. uh, by Howard Mackey. Uh, I like that better than this. Um, Yeah, I think I like the Rogue mini better, but I'm looking around. I feel like we're in a pretty good area, though. Like, this is taking some risks. It's, let me see, what's that? 171 is Madripoor Knights, Uncanny X-Men 268. I don't think it goes that high. No. If we're talking night to night. Um, it's probably better, actually, no, I'll say it's better than number 180 on our list, X-Men slash Spider-Man. Uh, which is that Spider-Man Through the Ages. That's a good comparison. Through the Ages story. Yeah. All right, that's a good place to put it. Is it better or worse than 179, which is X-Men Gold uh, Negative Zone War? I've had a friend uh, who's reading X-Men Gold right now. I want to reread X-Men Gold because I want to hurt myself. (laughs) I want to say this is probably better than Negative Zone War. Okay. Okay. Uh, probably better than the Hellfire Saga from Wolverine and the X-Men okay not as good as 176 which is X-Force the start of the road trip era Uh, at 177 we have Excalibur 51 don't drink the water uh, which is the time when Excalibur goes to dinosaur land or actually Excalibur doesn't go anywhere we just visit dinosaur Excalibur for a bit and Excalibur's hanging out in the lighthouse taking a nap so what do we think um better or worse than that that one doesn't have Alan Davis art neither does this one but that one also doesn't mm. I think I might put this ahead of that okay that's yeah. fine this can be 177 okay I'm not that picky. <laughs> it's it's the giving season the season to give to give candy to all the little boys and girls that is definitely a mini though that may have slipped under your radar you know it's worth it's worth checking definitely, out. definitely definitely 
uh, our definitely definitely worth checking our out. Our next story is something that probably didn't slip under your radar, but I think is uh, I I don't. There's no way this. If you were reading Uncanny, hold on. Yeah, hold on. Wait, no, wait, no, wait, wait, wait no, wait, no. Yes, shut up. I'm. You're right. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I'm wrong. <laughs> Did you think we were doing the other story next? I did think we were doing the other story, which absolutely slipped under everyone, including our radar. Yes. Um, But this one didn't. This one did not slip under many people's radar. Uh, You're right. Uh, Guys, I'm going to leave all that in uh, for my (laughs) eternal shame. Uh, But this is from the Brian Michael Bendis, Uncanny X-Men. This is numbers five through seven. It is... The time they went to limbo. Fraser Irving does the art uh, in this one. He sure does. Holy hey, Fraser Irving. Fraser Irving sure does the art in this one, doesn't he? <sighs> this is gorgeous. Can we just let's Fra- let's just talk about yeah. the artwork for a little bit? Because let's talk about Fraser Irving. The the beginning of the Uncanny X Men Bendis run is uh, Chris Bocciolo. and then great we have this three issue arc where Lim- where um, Ileana is sort of uncontrollably being ripped into limbo and has to face off against Dormammu. And you could not have picked a better artist for this. It is so, so cool. So we talked a while back uh, when we were doing uh, that magic episode about how magic came back. Yeah, 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 yeah. And about how different people do limbo in different ways, and some of it's good and some of it's less good. Uh, Irving takes a very interesting approach because it's not the traditional, like, Storm and Ileana magic style of limbo. No. It's very dark, very damp, and looks like a place that the Dreadlord Dormammu of the Dark Dimension did want to uh, get into. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of this rocky, cavey abyss, and Dormammu presents himself as this gigantic creature, you know, with his flaming this head. absolute unit. And the <laughs> this is, of course, you know, still in the, you know, post-AV, uh, post-AVX, we don't have total control over our powers because we were the Phoenix Five plot line, um, which yes. we shouldn't get into how that turned out because I, I didn't like that very much. Um, but Ileana is flipping back and forth and her and the rest of the X-Men that get sucked into limbo, they're like constantly beset by these, these creatures and these giant like monster type things that are just constantly on top of them. It's so, there's a sense of dread, um, that, that comes along with all of these scenes. The sense of light that Frazier is, has in each of these scenes is so amazing, his coloring is absolutely phenomenal. He does he does great line work, very moody. But the after effects he does with his coloring, uh, some of like the smoke and some of the uh, I want to use video game terms and say particle effects, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> I, I honestly you, do you, not know how he's doing some of this. Like I would love to see a behind the scenes on on some of his painting techniques that he's using. Well, you art. could have looked at the AR. Uh, videos that are definitely included oh, really? on Marvel Unlimited. 
Oh, yes. One of the AR videos has the uh, Marvel editorial office doing a limbo contest. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff uh, on there. And I believe there's something uh, about Fraser Irving's uh, art on this. Uh, but it's real dang good. He's gorgeous. Uh, just. Well, and I think it's... we'd be remiss if we didn't also just highlight the fact that the way in which he draws the dark child is like oh nothing gosh. we have ever seen before. So if there's if there's one thing that I would say Inferno doesn't do well and the lead up to Inferno it's that the dark child is just silver Iliana. Mm. It's just Iliana and she got the metal mushroom. Mm-hmm. Uh where this feels different. She's not the sexy demon lady that she was on some of the other stuff. She feels otherworldly. She does not feel like she should exist in our reality. She feels heightened in a way that Fraser Irving's art, which is already very stylized and very outlandish, it feels out of place even within that context. And that's that's an impressive thing to do because he's essentially throwing down the gauntlet to begin with and saying, look at this cool. Oh, no, I'm one upping myself. <laughs> and it, it's really, really cool to see just this this wobbly mouthed, you know, it's almost as if her head is on fire, too. Like she has the horns. You can see the face, but everything is like distorting and moving. And it, it has a sense. It, it's it's not set on the same plane. Right. Like her right. features in her face are together, but separated in an incredibly cool way. Mm-hmm. I, I think if if I had to guess. I have a feeling that you you maybe have been just sitting around saying, I want to do something like Demon Bear Saga. And I want to do something that's like so visually stunning and out there. Because just the the stark contrast between what comes before and after this issue, uh, after this arc, it, it's it's so stunning. I love I love Chris Batchelor. You know that. Yeah. We both do. Mm-hmm. This is this is an incredible way not only to say, hey, yeah, this is a cool artist. Look what else we can do if we're going to if we're gonna pivot this to a whole different direction. Because believe you me, Chris Bachelot could draw this comic. It would be a very different comic, though. Right, right. Because we've seen, we've seen him do things like this. I mean, he did Death. He did Doctor Strange. Like, he can do this, but it would be a gothic, almost Tim Burton-y kind of style. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fraser Irving makes this a haunting, hellish portrayal, and it works really, really well here. His Dormammu is great. His mindless ones are good. I love how he does the Stepford Cuckoos in yeah. here. He has like he has them staged so that they are overlapping one another, mm-hmm. and their hairs flying in different directions. And through the coloring, it's as if they are congealing into one individual in a very interesting and visually striking way. Uh, it works really well. Um, I like it. The story's all right. The story's fine. Oh, I, li- I think the story is interesting. I-, I mean, obviously... I don't think it's bad. It's just... 
that's not what you're here for. I mean, yes, this is driven almost entirely by the art. Um, we do have a couple of fun highlights in here, including the introduction of Hijack. Um, this begins Magic's relationship with a Doctor Strange from the past. Uh, Which is such an interesting little twist there at the end that, hey, um, I know the X-Men. I don't know you. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm not an X-Men yet right. and you're not an Avenger yet. So we can we can just vibe. Right, Steve? And he says, yeah, it's it's a great setup. Um, I like that he realizes that, well, she probably wouldn't come from the future if she could just stay in the future. <laughs> Which is fair. Yeah, yeah. So I don't particularly care about the fact that it's just kind of like a silly excuse to have this visual trippy adventure um, because I'm enjoying the visual trippy adventure so much. Oh, yeah. Like, listen, if you're just going to do an artist showcase story, this is a pretty way, pretty good way to do it. And it, it does progress the storyline of this book forward. It takes the students, uh, who in this case are Tempest Triage, uh, the soon-to-be-named Morph, and Gold Balls, along with the original Angel and the Stepford Cuckoos. It says, hey, some of you haven't uh, been in X-Men before, <laughs> and some of you haven't, um, what is it, fought the Dreadlord Dormammu of the Dark <laughs> Dimension yet. Right. You know, the guy Stephen Strange is like, he's tough, mm -hmm. he's tricky. Uh, he was in he was in a f feature film. Yeah. <laughs> hey Adam, is it wild that the Dreadlord Dormammu? Every I know that like it's normalized that there are just there's Marvel stuff in everything, and it's the most popular thing in the world. It is still just weird to me that the Dreadlord Dormammu was in a movie that made several million dollars. Yeah. I mean, when you see Batrock the Leaper or, you know, <laughs> MODOK is getting his own Hulu show. Uh, yeah. Hey, guys, that MODOK show. It looks cool. Looks real good. <laughs> Friend of the show, Jordan Bloom, uh, is running it and very excited to check that bad boy out. And I'm going to force my wife to watch a show that has the super adaptoid in it. <laughs> I'm not going to force anyone to watch it, but I am probably going to enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I'm going to force my wife to watch it, yes, because that's the only way I can watch TV is if I force her to watch it with Aww, me. Aw, watch TV together. It's very sweet. Um, it's either that or we watch more Bob's Burgers, and frankly, I'm good either way. Okay. But. Um, all right, so I have 140 highlighted here, which is Battle of the Atom, our namesake. This is better than Battle I of the Atom. I think this is better than Battle of the Atom. Um, so we're already working our way up the list better or worse than 129 last will and testament of Charles Xavier better than last will and testament of Charles Xavier. Okay. Um, is it better than all new dupe? Yes, it is. That's at 115. Is it? Mm, we're going to get yelled at for this one, Adam, but is it better than Inferno? The X-Men and X-Factor portions of Inferno. Is it better than Inferno? I mean, everybody knows my hesitations about Inferno. It's because Inferno... I don't love Inferno. Inferno has really strong moments in it. It takes a little bit to get to those moments. And also, the stuff you like about Inferno is done better than the New Mutants one. 
I would say it's not better than the New Mutants Inferno one. I, yeah, in '95 we have Fallen Rise of the New Mutants. I don't think this is better than that. I think as a story, Fallen Rise is better. I think from an art standpoint, this is better. But I think you're in the right place because I think this is better than number six on un- Ultimate X Men one through six, the Tomorrow People, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not as good as number ninety four, which is X Men Second Coming. Yeah. Uh, I would probably put it above Fallen Rise, but also Fallen Rise probably has more fist-pumping cool moments and is the culmination of a lot of stuff where this is a fun little arc. So I think I'm fine making this our new number 96. Perfect. I agree with you 100%. Uh, Alrighty. You know, it, it has been a long day, Zach. I think we deserve to trick-or-treat a little bit and just have some candy. You know, like... Are, are you wanting some junk food? I just need some... Yeah. I need just like, you know... It doesn't even need to be the good candy. It, it could be like just... Something that some grandma threw at me from a, a window, but just uh, what do we got? We gotta have some some trick or treating junk food around here, don't we? We sure have some junk. <laughs> that's that's definitely what we have here. Uh, this is a story that I didn't know existed until we were planning this episode, and then we somehow stumbled upon it, and now I uh, I've experienced it, which is a thing that I've done. Um, this is from 1995. It's part of the Marvel Edge line. Which I didn't know existed. Uh, that was a, a, a surprise to me. I, I was learning about that for the first time. It's what Marvel did for the brief period when they were like, ah, dang. Uh, I guess we're not doing the Midnight Suns anymore. <laughs> what do we do next? Okay, let's do Marvel Edge, I guess, and Daredevil can be a part of it. Yeah, I think Punisher, Punisher. right? Because they electrocute the Punisher as part of his Edge books. Um, I did. I've not read a Punisher comic before (laughs) 2011. (laughs) I'm gonna be real, real with you. There's literally a house ad that is like you can smell the Punisher in the electric chair. And I'm like, guys, this edge thing is not going to work out. <laughs> hey, it didn't. Um, but um, this is a sequel to uh, a storyline that we reference quite a bit on the show, isn't it? Yeah. It's a sequel to brood trouble in the big easy. It's called brood feud two, which is a good title, you know, but um, where was, <laughs> why is it called brood feud two and not just called brood feud or, because they want you to know that it's a sequel to those comics you did like. So maybe you'll like this one too. Sure. Well, um, it's written by Howard Mackey, uh, who did help write Brood Trouble in the Big mm-hmm. Easy. Art on this one is not by Mark Texera or uh, Jim Lee. It's by Salvador La Roca. Yeah, very early La Roca here. Um, don't think he's tracing... For the most part, no, like he's he's doing he's doing seem to be a couple nods to to Jim Lee uh, poses at certain point, but which I feel like is fair when you're directly sequeling exactly, Jim Lee book exactly. Um, so that's an homage. That's a different. Line. I would agree. I would agree. So we do have some brood that have come uh, to Earth, and they're out for revenge. Man, they want the Ghost Rider to uh, to merge with their queen. Yeah, so as we all remember from Drew Trouble in the Big Easy, uh, Danny Ketch, the the Ghost Rider, mm-hmm. 
did briefly become a brood queen before the X-Men stopped him. Uh, and now the brood are not happy because they do want their brood queen. So they try and get revenge on Danny Ketch, the ghost rider, and also Gambit, who has a motorcycle. <laughs> Everybody has a motorcycle. <laughs> and also Wolverine, who has a motorcycle, <laughs> who shows up in the next issue at 67 to 68 of Ghost Rider Volume 3, by the way, uh, to say, hey, also, I'm popular. <laughs> it's This is a very 90s cast. This is an episode of a Saturday morning cartoon, if I have ever seen one. Like, it's pretty much bang the action figures together and hurt these monsters, right? Like, there is very little in the way of actual story or plot other than there are some brood and these guys are going to team up and they're going to kill them. Like, now, have I read the other 66 issues of this Ghost Rider run that Howard Mackey was building to? No, I have not. Am I missing some of the subtle plot points between Stacy and Danny Ketch? Yes, I am. Does this book make me invested in a comic about a man with a fire skull and a motorcycle? Eh. I mean, I've read the beginning of this volume and and, and right because you were reading comics in the nineties. I think I've read issue one too. By the time you get to this point, like I am very confused about the supporting cast, and this one character turns up and like armor at some point and i'm like wait what <laughs> this character is from like image or something they look like a gen- we are, we are missing magistrate. some context for this are you talking about ski i guess who, who is this shield person that, that pops up towards the end eh, who cares? i don't matter. know it doesn't matter they kill the bad guys uh it is just a Ah, it's fine <laughs> it's like it's it, cotton candy it is it exists i wouldn't call it a good story here's the thing this is a story that's very much saying well you did like that brood story that jim lee drew and they said well salvador la roca you can also draw <laughs> and also we can put the gambit logo on this can't we yeah and it's not very good, is the problem. I was pretty bored in this story where, uh, again, skeleton fireman on a motorcycle, Cajun thief, and Wolverine all fight space aliens from the movie Aliens. Should not be boring at all. Is actually kind of a confusing mess and not exciting in the slightest. Like, it makes no sense why Gambit is there. It makes no sense why Wolverine is there. Um, it's just, like I said, it's like guest starring, marquee sign, and that's about it. There's no explanations given. This was them pushing up sales before Howard Mackey left Probably. the book. Because he leaves in the next issue. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah, issue, issue 69 is Howard Mackey's last on his very long run on Ghost Rider. And then Ivan Velez Jr., who I've never heard of, becomes the writer. Okay. No disrespect to Ivan. Uh, I have no disrespect to him. I've never heard about him. So We don't know you. Mariah Carey, we don't know you. Maybe he's great. <laughs> hey, it's a, this is a weird one. Is it good? Listen, I think we hey. can agree 
that it is not as good as Brood Feud Brood One. Trouble. <laughs> Brood Trouble in the Big East. Right, which nowhere near as good no, as that. No, where do we have that? That's it. That's at two oh two right. Yeah, now. no, 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 no. This is Hey. This is not as good as that. Before we rank this, I've got a question. Oh, and this is gonna be controversial to some members of our audience. Hmm. Um who's who's the motorcycle ghostwriter to you? Is it Danny Ketch or is it Johnny Blaze? Because Johnny Blaze has a better name, but Danny Ketch has a better motorcycle. And also, they're like the same person, I think. Well, that's the funny thing is like, as a kid reading Ghost Rider, I don't really think I made too much attention that there were different ones, you know. But of course, the 90s Ghost Rider was the one I was most familiar with. So I guess I'm going to go with Danny Ketch. I I don't know. I'm also going to say Danny Ketch. Um, I'm going to say Danny again, because Danny no... was in... The Walt Simon Art Adams new Fantastic Four arc, Monsters Unleashed, which I absolutely adore. And he's the ghost rider in that one. He has the cooler bike. He does have a very cool bike is the probably biggest thing about him. It's weird that the best ghost rider is the most recent one who doesn't even ride a motorcycle, Robbie Reyes, (laughs) right? right? Who drives the... uh... What kind of car is that? He's it's a it's it's a it's a charger. Yeah. It's a it's a Dodge it's Charger. Great. I love that design too. It's very cool. Yeah, and he was in a TV show, and he was really. If you guys didn't watch that season of Agents of Shield where Ghost Rider is around, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. Yeah, it's kind of wild that they threw Ghost that in Riders there. there. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this ain't great. Uh, I think we're. No, it's not. Probably down in the three hundreds here. Um, yeah, it's worse than Monet Vampire Hunter. Yeah, I'm working my way down the list. It's better than the Star Trek X-Men comics at 367. Oh, sure. Yeah, I would give it that an advantage to that. Um, hey, is it better than Wildcats X-Men? No. That's at 354. (laughs) I'd much rather read Wildcats X-Men. Um, you're right. It's not better than Apocalypse versus Dracula, I don't no, think. No, I don't think so. That's another one. But it it's probably better than X-Men Die by the Sword, which is right below that at 359. I'm going to I'm going to agree with you on that. It's definitely better than Die by the Sword. So this makes it our new 359. It does. This is our new 359. Ghost Rider 67 and 68 Brood Feud 2. Brood Feud 2. Brood Feud 2. It's fun to say. Brood Feud 2. It's no it's an interesting it's an interesting one for an interesting time and that was a very spooky list adam that we did on this episode celebrating the hollows weed yes i hope y'all get your candy somehow i also hope that i get candy (laughs) i i bought i bought 20 us dollars worth of candy for my son's preschool Mm. last night i don't know where it went the candy I think it went to his preschool, but I'm trying to figure out why I, one of several parents, had to buy 20 U.S. dollars worth of candy. Because <laughs> you will now get a mixed bag of $20 worth of candy back. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think so. I think. So let's let's break this down. The candy that will return to me yes. will not only be of lesser quality, I assume, mm. 
of higher variety and you know that there's only a handful of Halloween candies that's really worth eating. It's like 40%, let's be it's real. True. And I have to share it with a four-year-old. <laughs> Technically, none of it is yours, Zach. But it was my 20 US dollars. <laughs> what, are you going to take back his Christmas presents? He doesn't. He, he, okay. As a corollary to that, my child, my, my sweet my sweet boy, my oldest, um, has decided he likes video games now. Specifically, he likes Super Mario Odyssey, Ooh. which is very good. And he likes Super Smash Bros, which he's trash garbage at. He's absolutely terrible. He's a child. He can't even he can't even use up B to do a third jump to recover on the stages. I can't either. He's trash. He plays he's played hours of this game. I've told him, Elliot, you gotta use your up B. You gotta you gotta use that. And he doesn't do oh it. My God. I tell him to use his shield. He doesn't. Do you think he knows how to do a perfect shield? You're joking. Do you think he knows how to do a good grab into a combo? You are out of your mind. Does he call the final smash ball the rainbow attack? Yes, he does. Hey, why did they put Steve from Minecraft in the game? And hold on, because I'm not mad of the existence of Steve from Minecraft. I'm mad at the existence of Steve from Minecraft, this character that very strictly has an appeal to a younger audience, which is good because this is a video game for babies that <laughs> adults happen to like. It is. Pikachu's in this game. I can't call it a game for mature adults. Um, also, Bayonetta. Uh, and she's... She is not rated E for everyone. Um, but they put Steve from Minecraft in there and they gave him such a complex move set that I'm legitimately lost as an adult trying to play this game where I have to upgrade and follow a bar that has eight different discrete sections. And Sakurai, why'd you do that to us? I'm not sure this sounds fun. Doesn't sound fun. Adam no, Smash Bros. is good. <laughs> Smash Bros. is Smash Bros. is the game of kings. Mm. Um, it's amazing. It's the kind of game where Kirby from the video game series Kirby Kirby can voice Snake from Metal Gear. That's intense. It's very good. <laughs> is the beauty of it, and I love I love Smash Bros. Um, what what are we what are we doing anyway? Oh, back to what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, where were you going with this? We started talking about Halloween candy. We were. Um, so since he likes videos, James, now, uh, for Christmas, he wants video games. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Yeah. What's the thing? I'm not going to not play Luigi's Mansion 3 now we're talking. if it's in my now home. Now we're talking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play me some Luigi's Mansion. He wants to get Yoshi's Craft World, which will be a fun game for both of us to play, though I feel like as me... A mature, sophisticated adult. This this small children's platformer will not be what I need in my life, but I've accepted mm. that. Uh, he wants he wants some games of that nature. He wants the the Super Mario game where you turn into cat people that came out on the Wii U. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun because we get to play it together. Anyway, what I'm saying is Christmas is going to be very good for me and him <laughs> at the same time. I'm trying. I'm trying to be like, man, Elliot, Elliot, you uh, 
you really, really want to uh, get into, I don't know, like Metroidvanias? <laughs> like, do you want to buy all these all these indie indie games let's, that are 2D pixels? And he's uh, like, Dad, I don't care about Hollow Knight. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever. Let's get some survival horror, Resident Evil. Let's get a Resident <laughs> Evil remake. Uh, well, I'm glad you're thinking about win-winning with, uh, with children's Christmas presents. It's all, it's all about... All about them, Benjamins. It's all about getting things for me. Adam, we're, this, I'm surprised. That's the real meaning of Halloween, yeah, right? Yeah, it really is that, that you get to eat some of the candy that gets brought home by your children. Um, all right. So, guys, you can always follow me online, uh, Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Go to XavierFiles.com for all the latest and greatest in X-Men reviews, uh, coverage, any cool articles you want to uh, promote zach for xavier files no no okay great go no. to guys there's a lot of sword content go read the sword content go read uh mm, i'm trying to think here's the problem there's a problem i just don't know when things oh, are coming well, out that's fine uh stuff's coming out we talk about batman now go check yeah, that out it's wild it's wild but um ten of swords continues to be great so um Hey, Ten of Swords is very, very good. Every time I read it, I'm like, right, I love comics. <laughs> comic books are comic books are good. There's people who are like, oh, why do they spend so much time getting all these swords? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You don't want these interpersonal struggles of all of these people facing some of their biggest fears and having to overcome them while dealing with uh, issues in themselves and then also getting big swords? That's great. You can't. You, what do you want from no, comics? You can't. You can't please everybody. You know, people are like, "Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a big crossover, and it has nothing to do with the regular books." Oh wait, actually, it does. Um, it actually has a lot, lot to, to do, do with, with everything. everything, folks. Okay. I don't know. Maybe you should be reading Excalibur because it's really good. So good. So good. Okay. Um, next week we have something a little bit different in store for our listeners, don't we, Zach? That's right. Author Carrie Harris is joining us for a great interview talking about her new book about Tempest and Triage from, you know, X-Men called Liberty and Justice for All. Uh, So that'll be a heck of a lot of fun, guys. But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!